The name of the message is Meeting the Governor. Meeting the Governor. Now, in our last study in, in uh, the life of Joseph, we looked at verses 56 and 57 of Genesis 41 in addition to verses 1 to 4 of, of uh, chapter 42. And we've seen how that God in His providence and by His almighty power, always by His almighty power, has raised up Joseph from being a slave to being the prime minister over all of, his, or all of Egypt. And God, by, again, by His almighty power, has brought upon the land of Egypt, famine upon the land, just as Joseph had interpreted in Pharaoh's dreams. And our great God is now, first of all, He bought seven years of plenty, just as, just as Joseph had said would come. And now, they're in the midst of seven years of famine. And the purpose of all this occurring, the purpose of having Joseph being sold into slavery, raised up as the prime minister over all of Egypt, the, the famine, the years of plenty and the famine come. And the purpose of all this is to bring Jacob and his family down to Egypt, just as God had said he would. And we see again that God's almighty hand working to bring all this to come to pass. Let's read verses 1 to 11 of Genesis chapter 42. And the only way for anyone to get the corn stored up in Egypt is to go to Joseph. Always remember that. Anyone who wants corn during this famine, they must go through Joseph. They have to. They have to. He's the only one who can open the storehouses which are all around Egypt. And all must come through him to receive corn. And we see in our text here that Joseph's brethren are sent down by Jacob who had heard that there was corn in Egypt. And they're sent down to purchase corn in order for them to survive. In order for them to survive. Let's read again verses 1 to 11. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look upon one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard. So he had heard either through people who had come back after purchasing corn from Egypt or traveling caravans that maybe was going through the land of Canaan at that time, but he had heard that there was corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy us from thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, sent not with his brethren. For he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came for the famine, was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over all the land. And he, it was that sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spoke roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of, of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, ye are, to, ye are come. And they said to him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food for thy servants come, are, are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Look at that. Oh, they're, they're not true men, are they? We know that from the past. But they, they claim to be. We're true men. Thy servants are no spies. So we see there in 
verses 3 and 4, Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt, but Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest bear adventure mischief befall him. So Benjamin, Joseph's youngest brother, was not allowed to go down with the ten brothers. Jacob did not let Benjamin go. He did not let Benjamin go with his brothers. He was afraid that something horrible might befall him like what happened to Joseph. And he wasn't about to lose Benjamin as well. And Joseph's wicked brothers had put animal blood upon the coats of many colors to deceive, to deceive Jacob into thinking that Joseph was dead. And they let him mourn, thinking that Joseph was dead all the time, knowing that they had sold Joseph into slavery. And none of them could console Joseph, or Jacob. None of them could console Jacob's grief, none of them. So, therefore, he didn't send Benjamin down. He didn't send Benjamin down with his ten brothers for fear of losing him. And also remember that all this is predetermined by God, To Remember that. It's all coming to pass according to God's almighty will. And Joseph, again, was now exalted to a position of authority over them. Over them. And they did not know it, did they? They had no clue. They had no clue. And Benjamin had no part in their evil design when they, when they sold Joseph into slavery. And therefore we can conclude that his heart wasn't filled with hatred toward Joseph. And we'll see that later on when they meet. Oh, they love one another dearly. They love one another dearly. Now one can look at any man and find faults with him. Every son of Adam has faults, and but unfortunately, man, man is into hero worship, and they lift up men to a state where they can do no wrong, but sin dwells within us all, doesn't it? It dwells within us all. And even as believers, we as believers have to be careful not to fall into hero worship, lifting, lifting one preacher over another or, or esteeming oneself better than others. We all have to be careful. Paul even dealt with that situation. Do you know that? Paul even dealt with that situation over in uh, 1 Corinthians. Listen to this. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am Paul and I am Apollos and I am Cephas and I am Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I knew not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to, to baptize, but to preach. He sent to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cause of Christ be, should be made of none effect. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. So there's only one, beloved. There's only one who was absolutely sinless. Only one. All, all we men are sinners. All we men and women are sinners. You can find fault in every one of us. It's not hard. It's not hard. And and the only and, and and Christ was hated without a cause. He's hated without a cause. Only our Redeemer. And only in our Redeemer do we find perfect character, beloved. Perfect character. Even Joseph was a sinful man. Even Joseph was a sinful man. So think upon this. In in Christ's conduct he was without flaw. His doctrine was pure. He he went about doing good. And he alone upheld and obeyed and fulfilled the law of God in our place. 
the place of his people. His doctrine was pure doctrine, his kindness. He was kind, he was sympathetic, and he was tender. He was tender. Yet even though there was no cause for it, even though there was no cause for it, the Lord of glory was hated of all men. In our natural state, this is how we are. And so Joseph's brothers, they hated him. They actually hated him without a cause. I, I know that Jacob favored Joseph, but, but Joseph really had nothing to do with that. He was just being himself, wasn't he? And his brothers hated him without a cause. And the Lord Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, is again hated by man without a cause. And, and that's exactly who he saves, sinful men and women who hate him. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. And, he, and how does he save us? Without a cause. Freely, doesn't he? It's by his grace and by his mercy. Is there any cause in us that the Lord would save us? Anything? Nothing in us. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but God has loved us from eternity. And we marvel in that. We marvel that he saved us by his grace. And it's God and God alone who must convict us of sin and the enmity that's in our natural heart against him, against Christ, against his son, against his gospel, before godly sorrow will grip our hearts and make us aware of how helpless and hopeless we are. When our great God reveals our great need for Christ, that's how we feel, helpless and hopeless. And when the Holy Spirit's drawn us to Christ, we're born again by the almighty power of God. The same power, think of this too, the same power that raised Joseph up to second in command over all of Egypt, the same power right, that, that had a famine come upon the land, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, the same power is the same power that's exercised in our salvation. Isn't that wonderful? God's almighty power. God's almighty power. And we say, we can't, we say salvation's of the Lord. By his power, by his might. And we rejoice, don't we? We rejoice it's not dependent upon us because we'd, be we'd be in a world of trouble if it was dependent upon us. And the Holy Spirit regenerates us. How? By the almighty power of God. By the almighty power of God, beloved. And then we see our need for Christ, don't we? Desperately, we see our need for Christ. And he moves us by his saving grace to bow our, our new heart that he's given us a heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, to confess Christ. To confess Christ, just like you said to your friend there. Salvation's in Christ alone. No, there's no condemnation in Christ. None. And they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. So Joseph, by the grace of God, he knows that all this fell out. He knows that all this fell out according to God's eternal purpose. He knew, he, 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 he looks at the situation with different eyes now. And knowing how men and, and women feel and our natural man feels when, when they're wrong. What, what does natural man do? And even believers sometimes, we can get caught up in this. What does natural man do, or, or believers sometimes when we're in the flesh, what do we do when we feel like someone's wronged us? We want to lash out at them, don't we? It's normal. 
It's normal. But look at, look at God's almighty grace at work here. Joseph, Joseph sees his brothers, the very ones who sold him into slavery. The very ones who sold him into slavery. And, and the reason they did that is because Jacob loved him more than them. Again, he couldn't help that. He was just being himself. And look at this. Joseph, by again, by the grace of God, knows that all this fell out according to God's divine sovereignty and power. He's a believer in the Messiah, beloved. He's looking. He, he's, he's a believer in the Messiah. He's trusting God, just as the names of his children brought forth, remember? The names of his children bring forth the fact that he's trusting Christ. He's trusting God. He's trusting God. And, by, and it's by God's mercy and grace we see how he reacts in our next few studies. We'll see how he reacts to the very people who wronged him. It's pretty incredible. And again, it's by the grace of God. The only reason if, if we don't lash out at people who've wronged us is by the grace of God, beloved. Because <laughs> it's so natural for us to go, damn, it is. And to harbor that and to hold on to that? No. No. We need to let things go, don't we? We need to let things go. Look at Genesis chapter 42, verses 5 to 9. Look at this. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And, and they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land are ye come. We see there in verse 5 that the sons of Israel, Jacob, came to buy corn. They came to buy corn. For the famine was in the, now, was in the land of Canaan. Remember, it was all over. The, f- the famine was all through the known land, the, the world. It was, it was a harsh, harsh famine. And so they came to buy corn in the land of Egypt. But they also came among those who came from other lands outside of Egypt. Because look at this. It says there, And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So they were one amongst, or they were a group of men amongst, amongst um, several people, probably a lot of folks there that had come to buy corn because they had heard that Joseph was the only dispenser of that corn. And remember Canaan, remember this too, Canaan's known as a fruitful land, right? It's known as a fruitful land. It's known in Scripture as a land flowing with milk and honey. But oh, we see here, that our Lord has withheld his blessings, causing the land to become barren. See who's in power? See who has all control? It's our great God, beloved. And this shows God's almighty rule over all creation. He, he rules over all the creation. There's not a bird that falls out of a tree without him knowing. The very hairs of our heads are numbered, the scripture says. Oh my, he's in control, beloved. 
And this shows his almighty rule over all of creation. The Lord makes his clouds to be his chariots. And yet, the old natural man tends to take things for granted. Take things for granted. Not knowing that it is God and his providence that sends his blessings as it pleases. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust, doesn't he? He does. So we see that Joseph and his brothers had come down to Egypt. We know that the famine was all throughout the lands around Egypt. For, so for, probably for safety reasons, reasons, they would have banded together with other groups going down for safety reasons so that they don't get hit by marauders and all whatever they, money they're taking down or, or when they're coming back, whatever corn they have doesn't get stolen on them. They travel in a group. They travel in a group. They'd abandoned themselves together and then they probably would have broke up when they got to Egypt, broke up when they got to their destination. They may have been traveling with others from Canaan or they may have been traveling with others from another country. And, but they, but uh, we see that they all went down to get corn in Egypt. And we see in verse 5 that the sons of Israel came to buy corn among these other people. Again, remember the all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan would have the same need as the Israelites and as the Egyptians. They all would have the same, they all needed corn because the famine was harsh. It was harsh. And Joseph was governor over all the land of Egypt and he was the only one who could dispense that corn. Dispense that corn. He sold the people all over the land. We see that Joseph's brothers come down and they bowed themselves they bowed themselves before Joseph with their faces to the earth. Let's read verse 6. Let's read verse 6 here. And we see, remember too, that the dreams that Joseph shared with his, with his father and his brothers, we know they were messages from God, right? Well, we will see in our text that it's brought forth that Joseph's brothers came and they what? Bowed before him. They bowed before him with their faces to the earth. And so we see that these dreams are fulfilled according to our Lord's purpose, according to his will. And again, it's all by his almighty timing. It's all by his almighty timing. Look at verse 6. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Now, beloved of God, God had exalted Joseph to the position of governor over all the land, over all the land, as we see in verse 6. And it was he that was sold, that he, it was he that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and they bowed down, look at that, they bowed themselves down before him with their faces to the earth. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37. Now, this was the meaning of Joseph's dreams when his brother's sheaves made obeisance to Joseph's sheave. Remember that? Over here in Genesis chapter 37. Look at verses 7 to 9. Look at this. The obeisance means they bowed down before him. They, they gave him reverence, beloved. They gave him reverence. Look at this. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, was exalted over them, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. They bowed down. 
what do we see happening in Genesis 42, beloved? They're bowing down before Joseph. And he's, he's on the throne of power. Just like God said would happen. And his brethren said up to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Well, he is now. <laughs> he is now, isn't he? They don't have a clue who he is. Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? Oh yeah, he does now. All by God's almighty power. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. And he told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. That which God has purposed has come to pass. Exactly as Joseph has said it would. Obeisance in the Hebrew means to prostrate. It means to prostrate. It means to eat dust, which is what they're doing. Especially reflectively in homage to royalty or God, to bow down, to crouch, to fall down flat, humbly, to besiege or to reverence. And that's exactly what they're doing. So we see then by God's divine providence and power, by the almighty hand of our great God, that Joseph's wicked brethren were made to bow themselves before Joseph. To bow themselves with their faces to the earth. With their faces to the earth. Proving that God had exalted Joseph to be their ruler. And he alone could provide corn for them. Through the almighty hand of God. Well, we can only receive corn from our heavenly, our heavenly Joseph, can't we? We can only receive bread from our heavenly Joseph, he who is the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or hopeless without him. And we come before him when we're made willing in the day of his power, and what do we do? We just bow down before him, don't we? We just bow down before him. Oh, my and, and what we see with the brethren here, bowing down before Joseph, that's our rightful position before our heavenly Joseph. In the dust. In the dust. And the, the preaching of, of the gospel will exalt God to a high sovereign throne and will put man in the dust. And that's what it does. But this is our rightful position before our sovereign king before our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's God who humbles us to that point, isn't it? It's he who has brought us to that point. Think of that. How? By his almighty power. And by his will. By his will that he's brought us to that point. Because in our natural point, we won't bow before him. We're say, we're say like in the gospel, shall this man reign over us? And like the brethren there, look at, shall thou indeed reign over us or, or have dominion over us? That's us in our natural state, isn't it? But after we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we bow down. We bow down before our great king. And we won't even but lift our eyes. We smite our breasts like the publican and we say, oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And he is merciful to his people, isn't he? And we still even cry that even after we're saved, don't we? We don't ever stop coming to him, beloved. We keep coming to him. We keep coming to him and coming to him. Falling before Christ and begging for mercy. 
Let's read verses 7 to 8 here. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spoke roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. But they knew not him. Look at that. Yesterday we went to the DIA, the Detroit Institute of Arts, and they had a section there. One of the sections was on Egyptology and all that. And it was fascinating to go through that while we're studying the life of Joseph. And to see, after having read and studied about the dress and everything, to see how they were dressed and everything. And it was fascinating to find pieces from this period too and, and look at those specifically and go, wow, that, that was something right there during the time of Joseph's, when Joseph was prime minister. It was fascinating just to do that and to, to see the, the culture and to see the different things. Um, and like Vicky said, it kind of it bought, it bought it alive in the sense that, that um, you're seeing, again, things right from that period. And, um, and, and we know, we know that this all came about by the power of God. Now, but notice here in the text here, notice that Joseph's brethren, they didn't recognize him. And this is what was really neat when we went there to see the, the garb and all that that they wore. They didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. Now, now remember, when Joseph sold into slavery, he's a, he's a boy of 17 years old. When he stands before, when he stands before Pharaoh, he's 30 years old. Then seven years of plenty have passed, so he's 37. And then we don't know how many years into the famine it is. So he's at least minimum 37 years old. 37 years old now. And think of this, too. He's now second in command of all of Egypt. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian, beloved. He would have dressed like a wealthy Egyptian in fine linens, and they wore ornate jewelry. They wore gold rings and gold necklaces. And his head would have either been bald or, or he would have had a wig on because they shaved their head. And then they, they often, men and ladies, both wore wigs. And, and all the body hair they usually shaved off too because they thought the body hair was, make, made them unclean. So he's a, he's, he, you, you couldn't even recognize him. You couldn't even recognize him. And also, uh, his eyes would have been heavily lined with eyeliner. They put a heavy eyeliner around their eyes. Both male and female did this. And gone, think of this, gone were the shepherd's clothes. They were gone. Gone, were the, gone was the coat of many colors. It's gone. Right? Gone were the clothes he had on in Potiphar's house. Gone were the prison clothes that he wore. And now he appears to them as Egyptian royalty. Garbed in, in, in the finest linen in all of Egypt. Garbed in jewels and gold. With heavy eyeliner around his eyes. They couldn't even recognize him. And he spoke fluent Egyptian. He spoke fluent Egyptian. And they did not know that he knew the Hebrew language because they didn't even know who he was. Now look at this. They spoke to Joseph through an interpreter. Look at verse 23. 
And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. So when they spoke Hebrew to one another, they had no clue that he understood every word they were saying. We'll look at that next week. That's, that's incredible. They, they had no clue. They had no clue what he was saying. And so verse 23 there, it says, they, did not, they, did not, they, they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. Beloved of God, there would have been no indication to Joseph's brethren, absolutely no indication to Joseph's brethren, that this was their younger brother Joseph. They would not have had a clue. They would not have had a clue. They did not know that this was the very one who they had sold into, threw, threw into a pit, sold into slavery. As far as they knew, he was either dead or, or off somewhere in somebody's house as a slave. They had no clue where he was. And see, in verse 7, they did not recognize him. Look at, And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. He knows them. Now think of this. This is, this is where it really... Before we're saved... We don't know our elder brother, do we? We don't have a clue who Christ is. We may have heard him and we may have made in our mind who we thought God was or who we thought Christ was, but it wasn't the Christ of the Bible, was it? And we didn't know him. But when he reveals himself, and he knew us though, didn't he? You see? He knew us. We're his sheep given to him by the Father from before the foundation of the world. We had no clue about him. But he knew us. Joseph knows who his brothers are. Again, it's a picture of Christ. He knows, he knows who his brothers are. And, but look, it says, but he made himself strange unto them. You know, and at the time of love, when it's our time, appointed by God for Christ to be revealed to us, he is revealed to us. And we rejoice in the fact that he reveals himself to us. But look at this. And he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. Again, 13 years had passed uh, since Joseph... Thir- John Gill says maybe about 13 years had passed since, since Joseph stood before Pharaoh and his brethren ca- and, and he was cast into prison and all everything that had occurred. Again, this puts us around 37 years old. He'd be around 37 years old, somewhere in that range. They, would, they wouldn't even recognize him. They wouldn't even know. And here Joseph sits on the throne before them. And unbeknownst to them, it's their little brother. And he's now a prince. He's royalty. He's, ro- he's the, he's the uh, prime minister over all of Egypt. The only one he answers to is the king, the pharaoh. And again, he's arrayed around him. He's got an entourage around him too. They would have no clue who he was. And Joseph remembered, look at verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them and said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, are ye come? How little does the sinner think in his first approaches to Christ 
when the Holy Ghost is leading us and drawing us and showing us our need for Christ, how little do we think that he that our, he's our elder brother, beloved. He's bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. But he's also governor, isn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, but he's also governor over all. He's the Lord of glory. Oh my. Let us never forget the heart of the Lord towards his people. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. Let us never forget the heart of the Lord towards his people. We fear his power, but let us never lose sight of his love for us. We fear his power with reverence. It's not a slavish fear. It's a reverent fear. But let us never lose sight of his great love for us, for his sheep. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Oh, he was tempted in all points as we, but yet without sin. He's the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. No sin. But it says here, he's tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our Lord loved us so much that he left the glories and splendors of heaven and became a man, bone of our bone flesh of our flesh, touched with our infirmities. Right? He knows the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Perfect, spotless, sinless. He knew what it was like to be tired and weary. Right? He fell asleep in the boat, remember? They're all like, what are you sleeping for? And he says, comes up, and this huge storm, he just says, Peace be still. And the storm just, boom, it's like glass. He knew what it was like to be tired and weary and thirsty and hungry. But he's God Almighty as well. And think of this. God's divine justice is a frightening truth. I've got to finish up here quick. God's divine justice is a frightening truth when it's first made known to the, to the believer. And by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God, our, what happens when we see the justice and, and law of God against us? We're gripped with fear, aren't we? Oh, my. But then we learn, and we learn that God must punish sin, that his holy justice demands the soul that sinneth it must die, and the wages of sin is death. Therefore, Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, dies in the place of his people. What a great substitute. And he does that because he loves his people with an everlasting love. Everlasting love. And God's divine justice then becomes a precious truth to all of God's born-again people because we know it's the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that has satisfied that justice in our place. My, what a great Savior. Oh, what a great Savior our Lord is.